Wine Monk, Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Again, welcome to another fun episode, or just assumably fun episode of the Arizona Wine Monk. Here with Gary. Hi. And Lisa. Hi. We're drinking the 2013 Chateau Tumbly Little Franke. Would you care to continue your guessing? No. Aww. It is 50-50. Petite Syrah, or sorry, Petite Verdot. Hey, it, I got half the name right. <laughs> you got the important bit right, the Petite. The Petite, the Little, um, and then uh, Cabernet Franc. Get it. Hence, little <laughs> See if somebody had ever explained it to me that way, it would have stuck. Now we know how Olaf. We're also here with Olaf, who is the most lackadaisical dog I have ever met. He is the dude. If the dude was a dog. He has zero fucks to give. Unless you're making cookies, then he wants all the dough. Really? Any piece of dough that flew across the kitchen with the blender, he licked up before I had a chance to clean it. He has fucks to give about cookies, which makes him a good dog, I think. This is, these are the first cookies I've had in, homemade cookies I've had in a long time. Well, you should take some home with you then. I would love to take some home. I'll pack some in the tin. Everybody promises me baked goods that I date, and they never deliver. You don't even have to date me. I know. I appreciate that. I appreciate it too. (laughs) (laughs) Gary and I just got back from seeing Rogue One. Gary for the second time, me for the first. Very unique take on things and The part that struck me the most, I think, considering what? I feel like we should put in a disclaimer on there. Like, I don't think we're going to say anything that's not a spoiler. So, by the time this is up, there will be no spoilers. I mean, this is probably going to be up three weeks or at earliest uh, from the winter solstice. The longest, darkest night of the year. But at the time. At the time of this recording, people spoilers. are still worried about spoilers, so yeah, but should insert a little river song going, spoilers. Spoilers. Although, by the time this is posted, no one will care. True. Except for Mongolian step nomads, who are not known for their predilection for wine podcasts. It's a widely known fact. Or so I've been led to believe. Yay! Wait. Six cookies or six Mongolian step nomads? Six cookies. I didn't even hear the thing about. Okay, good. You want some, Gary? Sure. That would be kind of dangerous to get home and suddenly have six Mongolian step nomads pop out of a box. Well, you could just send them over to the steps across the street and they'd be right at home. Ha! 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 Well, one of the things going on in the world, in the world right now, are 
that I'm thinking of, speaking of successful or unsuccessful rebels versus the empire, um, as the situation in Aleppo, um, where Aleppo just got recaptured by Assad, who an American ideology is the empire and dark and evil and sinister and supported by Russia, who is also dark, evil, and sinister in the empire, apparently. And um, this whole idea of insurgency and the scene in the holy city of Jeddah. Was it Jeddah or? Mm -hmm. Which I think is the actual name of a city somewhere in the Middle East, if I remember correctly. Um, where it sounds Middle Eastern enough, it sounds Arabic or Syrian or Syriac. So whether it's designed to consciously Remind us of this, or not? Or well, it's a city. that city can't have gluten. <laughs> uh, but um, of course, the rebels are kind of on the side of ISIS, which were not supporting in Iraq, but supporting in Syria because uh, fucking American politics. What can I say? But. Of course, we'll probably be all dead by the time this airs because this probably won't air by the time of the. When was the triumvirate? Um, inauguration. But I give it about 15 minutes before the nukes start flying when Trump tweets something at someone that gets pissed off and then they retaliate by. Loading shit up. Because that's how this presidency would probably work. Um, what was I looking up? Oh, I was going to actually look up if there was a city, Jeddah. Not the Volkswagen. Not the Volkswagen, but an actual town somewhere in the Middle East. Aha! Jeddah is a city in the Hijaz Tiamat region on the coast of the Red Sea and is a major urban center of western Saudi Arabia. So it's. Basically, your port of entry to get to Mecca, which, of course, is the holy city in Islam, for those who are playing the home game and who know anything about the escape of the world. Um, so, hmm, we have a holy city called Jeddah being destroyed by the empire. This just raises all sorts of interesting questions. Indeed it does. Um, and, and whether this context was specific, i.e. meant to resonate with certain people who kind of are abreast with current events and geography and the Middle East, or whether it's a complete accident. And, and with, with filmography, you, you never really know. It's Disney. It could go either way. It's true. I'm pretty sure that Disneyland Saudi Arabia isn't going to be a big thing. Probably not. Got it. Disneyland Dubai, on the other hand, maybe, but... Um, a lot of people in the Middle East are kind of pissed, or a lot of people in general are pissed at our relationship with Saudi Arabia. And there we are kind of seen as the empire uh, by a lot of people, but not by everybody, obviously. Uh, obviously, you know, if you ask probably the average person in Saudi Arabia or Syria, 
or Lebanon, what do you think of America? They'd be like, oh, we don't really care. You know, if you ask the average American on the street, the, you know, the response about Saudi Arabia, unless they say something about those darn Muslims, you know, how dare they mix with our inter interracial fabrics? Polyester is the one true fabric! Sorry. Um, in Leviticus, we could technically all be put to death for wearing the clothes we were wearing. This is true. Cotton poly blends are sinful. Yep. And yet, people decide not to crusade against 1960s fashion. Instead, crusade against homosexuality, which I think is a much lesser thing than poly cotton blends. But, you know, this is why I didn't... The homosexuals could save us from cotton poly blends. This is true, they could. They know. They know the secrets. They know the ways. Also, God hates shrimp. But we didn't have any shrimp tonight, so we're good. Yep. So anyway, now that we've gotten entirely sidetracked, before we even started drinking, but um, that was the one thing that's kind of resonating on reading from Rogue One is that the destruction of the holy city by the Empire is. What does that say? I mean, does that something that resonate very well with American audiences? Do they get the potential resonances of that? Also, are they saying that that's where Jedi actually originally came from? Uh, this is the planet we're talking about, not Jedi Saudi Arabia, which is probably not home to any Jedi? Probably not. Um, the part that sticks out to me the most after my second time of seeing it, so I was a little bit more laid back and set just kind of observe things and see how things played together and worked out is that the whole attack on Scarif was basically a handful of rebel rebels David Bowie um, <laughs> who decided to just kind of jump in and go for it even though they were explicitly told not to and then everyone else is like Shit, gotta follow and take care of this. Uh, so, in my mind, Jin Erso and Cassian Andor and K2SO and all of them are collectively, or they collectively pulled a Leroy Jenkins on the Rebel Alliance <laughs> and got them into a ridiculous clusterfuck of a situation. And of course, required the entire Rebel Alliance to come and help them out and thus created an opportunity, actually, for the Rebel Alliance to eventually succeed yep. in the long run, even though they're like, surrender! <laughs> also, I, I mean, and this is just a weird thing that maybe shows that I'm well-read, but you, well, you read the book more recently than I did. Mm -hmm. I got some weird Monkey Wrench Gang reference, uh, not references, but resonances. Mm-hmm. And the byplay between the three main rebel characters, and then the additional, like, um, where's the music coming from? The office. She's finishing her Harry Potter movie. Oh. Um. Like I feel like K two is the super explosive guy. <laughs> or well, no. I mean, the other guy who had all the guns and stuff could be. I mean, the point is. 
the the team of people in in the monkey wrench game I, gang, I would have I feel could be correlated to the five main rebel characters, but maybe that's just the some you know the use of tropes and literature too, rather than any intentional resonance. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you are totally KSO. K2SO. K2SO. Two potassium sulfur monoxide. Sorry. Just if that was in, which is probably not a real molecule. Probably not, but I should look it up. Well, I have Wikipedia open right now. Sweet. So, little funky, Chateau Tumbleweed. Um, 100% Arizona fruit. Uh, made by Joe Bouchard. Um, because this is a label, this is a labelless bottle from bottling, I don't have the technical specs for it. Um, but I do know it's 50% petite straw. Oh, God damn it, I did it again. Because one of the other wines that I brought tonight potentially for this podcast was a petite Syrah port, and I have that in line for some weird reason. And also, for me, petite Syrah is kind of like the Empire, it's dark and brooding and sinister, and it keeps texting me. I'll find out later. Um, so there's a K2SO4. Actually makes more sense when I like it early. And what is the name of that molecule? Uh, let's look. I don't know. Potassium sulfite or potassium sulfate. Is that a vineyard additive because of metabisulfite is? What is potassium metabisulfite? Okay, so that's why I'm thinking. Oh, sulfite potash arcanite. Potassium sulfur, okay. Uh, often used in fertilizers, providing both potassium and sulfur, okay. So, so yeah, this is related to a vineyard additive uh, because potassium deficiencies are very problematic from what I'm aware mm-hmm. in Arizona, uh, which is why people should never ever grow the Greek grape Hagiotikio here because you know in real podcasts they make people turn off their phones before they start recording yeah well you know what are you saying that this isn't a real podcast buddy absolutely that's what I'm saying fuck you (laughs) (laughs) this is the ragtag group of rebels podcast yes except that it's a pirate rebels Yes, Lisa has now abandoned us for Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. The fool! Uh, oh, one of those texts was Rose saying that she was jealous of us drinking and hanging out. Mm-hmm. So now I'm turning that song off. I'm just not used to being this popular. <laughs> Of course, the only time my phone goes off today is while I'm in the damn movie theater. Well, you had it on silent, so I didn't even know. So I should have had it on Do Not Disturb, so I didn't even know either. But. Say, Ruby. Anyone important? Essential? No. 
got a really rich dark fruit nose. Like cassis, black currant, blackberries, black cherries, black, blackness, darkness. <laughs> this one is the dark side. They should do a Jedi label. <laughs> this wine being the dark side brings up another interesting point. Because while I think Jedis are snooty and full of themselves and way too legalistic and follow the rules kind of folks, and as such, if I had force powers, it would take me precisely about a minute and a half to switch to the dark side, uh, if that long. I feel like the Rebels have got to have more fun in general. Because the Empire is kind of like the Jedi's the snooty, rule-following, militaristic. Like, you have your place, you do your job, and that's it. Whereas the Rebels, it's like, I can fight. And then they hand you a gun. Yeah, it's is very ragtag. I was also reminded, weirdly enough, of uh, my reading of other governmental agencies like the IRA, um, the 50 bajillion different rebel groups in northern Iraq, like the Kurds fighting against ISIS and, um, and Daesh, fighting against Daesh, that sort of thing. It's just... It's very much a product for the military mindset of this time, um, where it's rebels, whether good or bad, regardless, you know, one man's terrorist and another man's freedom fighter, and obviously the Empire is viewing these guys as terrorists, um, versus, you know, strong governmental structure. So you have this whole dichotomy, um, which is very different than the you know, definite good versus evil. It's kind of like, uh, instead of like lawful good versus sort of lawful evil, it's more like chaotic good versus chaotic neutral in some aspects of lawful evil. But speaking in D&D terms, um, it's just, it, I felt like both sides were more nuanced. So we got to see the motivation for one of the characters and why he built the fucking Nassar because he had to. It was not his choice. And to, to make his point, and he, you know, he built a flaw into it. Um, and the reason why he took the job in the end was because someone else would have done it right, in fluffy air quotes, and therefore made it impossible. So it's like, okay, I'm going to make this, at least there's a possibility for this thing to be destroyed. Versus, you know, someone who would be like lawful evil, who'd be like... Now, I made this built exactly to proper specifications. There are no problems, there are no concerns. This will not be destroyed by anything short of another moon. Blah, blah, blah. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that it showed that the Death Star had a lot more capability than just simply like destroying an entire planet. It's like it, it can do selective targeting, um, which I thought was very interesting. And it has a hyperdrive. And it has a hyperdrive, which, well, I don't know that was mentioned in 4. It was never mentioned in original trilogy. I could have sworn that they said that at some point when they were approaching Alderaan coming out of hyperspace. Or maybe it was when it was approaching Yavin 4 at the end. Or it's coming out of hyperspace. I don't recall that. 
But you know, oh, it sucks. We're gonna have to wait until 1977 for the sequel anyway. So yeah, I'm gonna have to watch the next one <laughs> again. A lot more cherry coming out on this wine now. Could have decanted this. It's ten in a very good way. I want to say that both of the Cobb Franc and the Petit Verdot both came from Dragoon for this vintage. Either that or a combination of Rolling View and Dragoon. Most likely. Um, I, I like the quality of Rolling View fruit. I wish we could get more of it. Those berries fruit from what I've seen looks pretty good too. There's nothing that looks nearly as bad as Booby. <laughs> oh, Dragoon comes pretty close. But it's still better than Booby was. Marginally. Marginally. Ah, Booby of cursed memory. Good news, you will not be missed. There were some good vintages that come out of that vineyard, though. Here and there. When a really good winemaker got their hands on the fruit, they could make a good wine out of it. I have never had an exceptional wine from Bowie Fruit. But when a really bad winemaker got their hands on Bowie Fruit, you can tell. There's nothing redeeming about it. Do you remember the Wild Firm of Barbera? Yes. It was fun when it was freshly bottled, but then in the bottle it kept going, and it got weird. Uh, I think I'd characterize that as being like a, a tumblerina or something. Like one of those tumbler social justice crusaders. <laughs> no, that takes everything to 11, including, you know, some instruments. You're back! Tell us, what do you think of the little frog king? It's really tannic and kind of cherry-like. And it goes good with the chocolate chip cookies. It did. Mm-hmm. That's a good I need to remember not to forget this. Put it in your wine bag. That's what I... Oh, actually, I wasn't going to put it in my wine bag, but... was a very different Star Wars movie. Good different. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it was also a lot more nuanced than um, The Force Awakens slash The Force Needs Five More Minutes slash The Force Presses the Snooze Button. Um, Episode 8. The Force Makes Some Coffee. Yes. Um, which the more I look back at, at that film, it was almost all hype. There really wasn't much different or unique about it. But at the same time, it's probably a good thing because it got people back into it. I, mean, that's... I always thought of it as a transition film handing the franchise over to a younger audience and a younger cast and crew. And 
instead of being made by the people who originally came up with it, it was made by the people who grew up watching it. Um, and it was a very good way of kind of handing the storyline over to that next crew. But like with the original trilogy, the second one is going to be the Proving Grounds. Yeah. Let's see if they can actually do something. And I still think that Empire Strikes Back is, is my favorite of the original trilogy and my favorite Star Wars movie, period. Well, everyone thinks that. Unless you're five, then you probably like Phantom Menace. Because Jar Jar Binks. Uh, Five-year-old. <laughs> kid who watched it how many times in the movie theater when he was a kid? When that movie came into theaters, I was the target audience because I loved Star Wars and I was very young. So I remember watching it something like seven or nine times in theaters. <laughs> Why? Because it came out in the summer and I was not in school. So I went to the movie theater and watched Star Wars. Your glasses don't you let me fix that? Yes, it is. Which makes me think of, of course, the line from How I Met Your Mother. So you think the new so you think the prequels are better than the originals? Yeah, like the f original three movies didn't even touch upon the intricacies of intergalactic trade. <laughs> I watched. I mean, in some ways, it was cool to see the entirety of that universe flesh out. In other ways, there are better ways to do world building. I think Tolkien is a wonderful example of that, where you build the world up as the characters are going through it. Versus... Which is what the original trilogy did. Exactly. And I feel like that this movie fell along those lines, too. I did make the horrible mistake one evening of watching the everything wrong with Star <laughs> Wars films on YouTube, which ends up being something like two hours of videos. Oh, wow. And it is fantastic. And to sum up the entire prequel trilogy and their most glaring flaws with it is the entire thing is about the joys of voting. <laughs> the joy of voting. Is there really a joy to voting? Only if your candidate wins. Yeah, that's true. And even then, it's usually a hollow victory. Because the candidate will reinge on every single promise they've made. Which, in some cases, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's. Yeah. We're not going to really mention God Emperor Trump. <laughs> All hail God Emperor Trump, in case that. Not. All hail the glow cloud. Yes, the glow cloud. Blue Cloud, still a better candidate than Trump. Very, very satisfying. Red flag. 
this combines, I would say, the two best. Best line in the film. What do you think was the best line in the film? 
when he's getting the black bag put over his head and he goes, are you kidding? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Here, are, I thought that it would be um, something deep and philosophical and insightful. Of course, I should have known this being Gary. It's the slapstick humor line. Ah. <laughs> uh, the one that proves that the characters in Star Wars can have senses of humor. Intentionally. Yeah. Which is, I think that may well be a first, too. I mean, I can't think of anyone... else offhand having an intentional sense of humor. Oh, Yoda did in Empire. When he first meets Luke, when he was messing with him at the campsite. Oh, yeah. to fidget does not open for me. I'll try. I have no guarantees that I'm not going to make it worse because this is me we're talking about. Um. Anyway, there is no problem you can't make it worse. Exactly. No problem bad enough that you can't make it worse. There we go. So anyway, that's not very nice. That's what they train astronauts to think. There is no problem in space bad enough that you can't make it worse. Oh. Did you ever hear back from your astronaut application, by the way? I did not. It's very sad. But I did get a dog, and that application was harder than the astronaut application, so... How? I, I feel like I should be like a shoe-in for the astronaut like, position. It makes no sense that the application for the dog was worse than the astronaut. One. That makes no sense. Until you realize that you're talking to somebody who's always sarcastic. Then it makes all the sense. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I describe life in the best way I know how. Hyperbole and lies. And a dose of sarcasm. I've always maintained that hyperbole and lies should be a really great band name. I missed it. I get that every time I use the hyperbole and lies line. He gets a very high five. It's one of our only occasions. Unlike Chrissy and Dave, who have all the occasions for very <laughs> high fives. Anyway, this is frustrating. I know. Why do we need it untied? Because I need the loop to be bigger than that so it fits around both of my legs because I need it for a different purpose than I needed it last time I used this color. Huh? She needs the knot undid so she can make another knot. Elsewhere on the... I need the loop to be this big instead of this big. Okay. Why are you putting it around your legs? Because PT. It's a, it's a TheraBand. Oh, okay. And so why did you tie it so tight in the first place? Well, I didn't, but you see when you use it, and it's tied, the knot gets tighter because stretch. Ah. You want to try? Sure. Um, I'm going to get the force and the force is with me. I'll just be here fidgeting and mumbling on it. But that, that also raises an interesting question whether this, um, the clear Jedi influence on the planet of Jeddah, whether that denies the 
historiosity of Luke's quest in in between um, uh, six and seven um, to find the first Jedi temple because that was clearly not the same planet. <laughs> Because one was a desert wasteland, much like Arizona. There, I, I made the joke <laughs> that everyone was thinking. Um, versus the, what is very patently obviously a water world. Which is Northern Ireland, yeah. where they filmed it. Because no, not Northern Ireland, that's Southern Ireland. Southern Ireland. Northern coal British. Because they, they filmed that on actually one of the oldest uh, monasticism <laughs> sites. Did you just call the Irish people British? I did. Just <laughs> clarifying that. Cody skipped right over it. Uh, I'm just I'm half Irish, so I'm, I'm ruffling some feathers that I'm not allowed to ruffle at this point. So. Uh, I was going to say something, and it was probably pretty good, but I totally lost it with the British Irish joke. <laughs> this is why I interject. I interject so I don't lose my thoughts. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so, was Jedi later? Or was there like multiple Jedi religions that appeared and then morphed into one over time? Or, or what? what does this say about the religious history of the Star Wars universe? Well... In episode 7, it doesn't say he is at the first Jedi Temple. They say, we think he went to find the first Jedi Temple. And maybe he did, and went, oh, fuck this noise. This is way too much like Tatooine. I'm going elsewhere. Or maybe it was destroyed. If, and then he if found... Jedi is the first Jedi Temple, really. Mm -hmm. And then he went and found the place that was... Much more hospitable. Speaking of hospitable, have I? I, um, I guess none of you are on Twitter uh, and following very lonely Luke. <laughs> I have seen that. <laughs> I do not use Twitter anymore, but every now and then I'll hop on to look at that account and the Dad Han Solo account. <laughs> you woke Kylo Ren. One of my other favorites is Sarcastic Martian Rover. <laughs> Which is basically if Curiosity was a was you, Gary. If Curiosity uh, was K2SO. If Curiosity was K2SO, I eat you and a sarcastic asshole. <laughs> K2SO was an asshole. No, but he clearly gave no fucks. Oh, he gave fucks. Well, he had fucks to give. He certainly did. Uh oh. Huzzah! Thus proving that your husband is far more useful than me. Better keep him. <laughs> I was talking with my brother and a couple other friends over the course of the past few days, and they go, Did you know he was voiced by the same guy who did so-and-so character in Firefly? Like, how many times do I have to tell y'all? I never got into Firefly because I cannot get through an episode of it and still enjoy it without thinking this is the dollar store Han Solo knockoff. This is 
the action figures that your cheap uncle gets you for Christmas when you want G.I. Joe's. <laughs> A thousand collective nerds have just, like, gasped in horror and are plotting your doom. And have suddenly gone silent. <laughs> so, your comment about the G.I. Joe man, one of our teachers came in the other day to the lounge and she goes, my pocket is full of men. And she pulls out this handful of characters from the, what's this other movie came out last year from? <laughs> the what? The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. So they're like a little BB-8 and there's like a Kylo and there's like five or six little ones that she's got because her son has tried to smuggle them into school and they're not allowed to bring their toys to school with them. And so she discovered one of them and then made him turn out his pockets and found all the others. <laughs> like, all in all of his pockets. <laughs> he's four. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a fun kid. I would like to see more Carmenera in Arizona. The vintages I've tasted from Del Rio were great, but there won't be any more Carmenera from Del Rio for another four years, probably. What's a Carmenera? What happened to that? Oh, um, Carmenera is a grape with a really weird backstory that I'll get back to, but it's essentially the sixth Bordeaux. Okay. Um, it got killed off in France during the Luxor, and everyone thought it was a team until it was rediscovered alive and happy in Chile. And they're like, this Merlot is funny, and it's not like normal Merlot, and it's doing differently than actual Merlot. What what the fuck is this? Holy shit, this is the lost Carbonara! Um, so what happened is their neighbor sprayed an herbicide, and it wafted over, and killed all but, like, ten of the Carbonara ones. That has a very special place in my heart, because the same thing happened twice to my grad school research. <laughs> oh, really? I was about to say, that's Gary's yeah. favorite kind of problem on the vineyard. Oh. So, what was that? He wanted to sue them, but he decided because the guy was a to not bother. And so he's just going to regraft everything and replant. Made Gary's blood boil, and he's not even like yeah. relevant to his problem. Aww. <laughs> that frustrates me a lot. It was good. I, I, I liked their Carbonara. It showed a lot of potential. Uh, I know Greg Garman down at um, Cherokee Ranch wants to plant some, or did plant some? One of the two. Um, which I would like to see what I would do on the bench, but I think that's going to be a good high altitude Bordeaux for Arizona, along with Cap Franc. And one of my favorite weird Bordeaux blends I had from South America was a half Cap Franc, half Carbonara blend that was really good. Um, was quite pleased with it. But anyway. That's how we got on that grape because it's also been blended with Capron. Uh, it has. Um, but it's also one of the six classic Bordeaux grapes. Or five. Or five. That's right. There's, there's a Saint Emilion that was also extinct, but it's like grown in like three vineyards in California, allowed for Meritage or something. Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe it's not Saint Emilion. I have to look up what it is. Because I have fucking Wikipedia open, let's look it up. What grapes are allowed in a meritage? Dun, dun, dun. 
load. Load, you stupid son of a bitch. Oh. Well, maybe I was... Oh, this is just a list of... Uh, but actually there, there, there was one that's allowed in Meritage that's also not found anymore in Bordeaux, and I can't remember what the name of it was, and it was Saint something. But anyway. Maybe it's, a very good point. Yeah. It's the Saints. Go marching in. It's a Saint something. <laughs> anyway, so you have Cab Tronc, Cab Sauv, Merlot, um, Malbec, and Carmenier. And Petit Verdot. And Petit Verdot. Okay, so there are six. I was right. Cab Tronc, Cab Sauv, Merlot, Carmenier. Malbec, Petit Verdot. So I was right when I said six, originally. I'm pretty sure I'm still only hearing you say five grapes, but... Cabernet Franc! Yes, you Cabernet. keep holding three or four fingers up. Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, three. Petit Verdot, four. Malbec, five. Carmenera. We count on both hands, Gary. When you get to six, you start on the next hand. But you never... When you were doing your hand motions there, you are going, with your entire hand, there's this, and this, and this, and this, and not differentiating. And then all of a sudden you start throwing your other hand in there, I'm like, no, I don't think you got there yet. <laughs> I would have failed that when you switched to test. <laughs> Five shots or six. <laughs> I don't know. You feel lumpy, punk? Do you have? Ah. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> now that we can count. <laughs> now that we've learned that we can count for, for sure now. Um, 46 minutes into this podcast. <laughs> ones I do with Gary the most, actually. Obviously. Pretty entertaining. Someone actually, well, I was at the Salvatore tasting room working, and one of the wine club people came in who follows the blog and said, so when's your next podcast with Gary? (laughs) (laughs) You're famous! (laughs) I'm married to somebody famous! Now, if only start to pay like the noise game did. Right. Oh, so pissed off about that. We should sign off. This is Gary, no longer the beer captain, and this is Cody, no longer the wine monk. Oh, I still am the wine monk because I saw the website and everything. But you know, it's it's. I was never that ambitious. Mostly, uh, the 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 um, blog started as a way to keep drinking all these wines I was accumulating and. Now the, the wine collection has gotten huge and... I would say that it didn't really work. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, well, my dad would say, A for effort, F for failure. Because um, uh, the collection just kept on growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. Um, Which is beneficial to us. 
Yeah. I'm not official to anybody I'm friends with, like, or that I randomly meet in the tasting room that's really cool and randomly record a podcast with because they're studying wine in Italy and freaking Florence, and it's like, oh, you want Arizona centuries? Yeah, there's. And uh, she's like, oh, I really dig Vermentino. I was like, well, <laughs> guess what I have? <laughs> well, boy, howdy. Let's go. So what are you doing tonight? Oh, you're just staying at the Connor Hotel? No plan. Well, you're recording a podcast with me and drinking Vermentino now. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Amber. Got suckered into that. Uh, I sent a couple of bottles home for her to take to Italy, actually, too. Stack up on wine and tasting. Uh, a bottle of Mobile and a bottle of Sandy Basin. Nice. Um, Did that charm happen when the mustache was waxed or unwaxed? I think it was waxed that day. I wasn't trying to like seduce her or anything, obviously. I mean, the girlfriend would probably have a problem with that if she wasn't invited along. I don't know the timeline. This was last week. Or not even. This was not even a week ago, I think. Hmm. I don't know, you have to look at the text that I sent because I sent Gary, it's like, sorry, I know I was supposed to drink this with you, but... <laughs> oh yeah, that was last week, I remember you mentioning it. Yep. So, pretty sure I had the mustache wax that day, but I wasn't trying to seduce her or anything. Um, again, the girlfriend would have a problem with that unless she was invited. Um, yeah. Well, I, to be fair, expected mostly awkward silence there. Um, Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> but anyway, um, I would like to see more Carmenere in Arizona. Um, Merlot is very spotty, and I think Greg Rodman hit, hit it on the nose. And I mentioned this in the, in the Merlot cast that hasn't been aired yet, and will have aired by the time you listen to this, probably. Um, then in Bordeaux, all your, they've had, you know, hundreds of years to figure out soil types for all these things, and um, vineyards in Arizona aren't as focused on matching varietals to soil types. So you have very shitty Arizona Merlot and then very good Arizona Merlot, and it's directly a result of soils. Bowie, one of the reasons why Bowie had such shitty Merlot, um, other than it being overcropped to fuck, um, was that it was sandy soil sodium Merlot prefers clay-based soil or more clay soil versus that and lower sodium, which is why Rolling View does it so well. Grapes in general don't like high sodium soils at all. The sodium interacts with the resveratrol and causes the pigments to not be as stable or as rich. And, uh... Olaf is standing in the doorway just looking at us like, what's up? He looks permanently disheveled. Like, he looks like he just woke up all the time. Yes. Which is hilarious. That's because he has deadhead hair. He also, when he looks dead at you, kind of has this look on his face like, (laughs) the hell did you just say? (laughs) It's the one ear up when you're down. Okay, you don't want to Okay, come on. Speaking of going to bed, we should probably cut this off here soon. Well, I'm here. Likely. Uh, Olaf! Hey, buddy! Hey, Olaf! You want to build a snowman? It doesn't have to be a snowman. <laughs> What's he doing? He's just standing in the middle. 
Oh, it sounded like he was drinking something or eating something. Yeah, he's... He's licking his lips. He's still getting used to life without front teeth. this year after uh, the dishonest courtesan and the carapocalypse and then well so far Bessels has not but my operating assumption of course is that she'll run away screaming at some point but uh, you know this year hasn't been all horrible you know I've gotten close to some awesome people like now, Rose and I really started talking, getting we good friends this year. Um, that's, she's now become one of my best friends. Um, for better or worse, because the ending is still occluded and hidden, uh, getting back in touch with Bess is a good thing. Uh, you guys will hear that story when I record the podcast with her, when she shows up. If she shows up. Uh, she wants to do her, so... She wants to do it with Malvasi, and she wants to pull up the threesome podcast. Bastard. Well, you know, it helps. Um, and you know, I've gained a lot of knowledge and knowledge base, and in terms of the lines, and terms of the and trying to understand why things are the way they are, and you know. As horrible as 2016 was, it could have been a lot worse in a lot of ways. But I, for one, will not be sad to see it going. Me neither. And on that note, hit the curve 2016. You will not be missed. Yes. This is actually going to be the last podcast recorded in 2016. Um, sort of, kind of-ish. Probably, yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess that depends on what time we all start the Barbera podcast at Cannes. Um, so this may well be the second to last. So we may, we might start recording that one so that way midnight falls right in the middle. Depending on how everyone feels. I really hope you guys can come. I do too. That was, that's a lot of Barbera to drink. I think I have six bottles there too. That three of us cannot drink all of, so we need at least a bottle per person. Plus, I am going to be bringing as a bubbly, a sparkling dolcetto. This was a much less of a reaction than I thought it would. Your reaction was blank. Yeah. Informless. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, really? That's interesting. Which is. I'm just cycling through my 
my Rolodex in my head of wines I've had before. Does that sound like a good idea? Have I had one of those before? I don't know. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, it's California Dolcetto. If I wanted to do a sparkling wine close to Barbera, I could have picked up, or rather hunted down a um, Bruschetta d'Aqui which is kind of a sparkling wine from that same part of the world made from the grape Bachetto di Acqui, um, which is also, unfortunately, the same grape in, uh, for better or worse, Stella Rossa. So everyone associates it with a northern Italian sweet red. And the first one I had, I didn't know it was sparkling. I assumed it was like a light red. And so I sat on my deck on a cold or a cool... Uh, late winter, early spring evening and selling the bottle just like bubbles. I'm just like, oh shit, is this supposed to happen? Oh fuck! Ah! Pour it into the glass! And I did, and it was good. And I was just like, oh, this was supposed to be sparkling. Because this was back when I was doing the Hundred Arrivals and still exploring my palate and exploring different wines and everything. I didn't know that much yet. This was pre-Wine Month days, I think. Perhaps. I think definitely pre-Wine Month days. BWM before one month. But anyway, um, I'm going to shut up so you guys can get on with your lives. Um, or not, if you so choose. Um, and you can, of course, jump to another podcast because that's the miracle of recording this and putting this on later. Uh, I'm rambling, so I'm going to shut the hell up and drink. Which you said three times already. I was expecting Gary to leave a sarcastic comment instead of you. That's like that's it before I put <laughs> Gary, what's wrong with you? Are you feeling like you're slacking? <laughs> anyway, gang, till next time. So the wine monk. Yep, he's the wine monk and I'm not. Neither am I. Good night, guys. <laughs>